California plans to stop the sale of gasoline-driven cars. California turns off electric vehicle chargers because the grid well, it just can't support them. And the madness spreads to other states. If this were a movie, we'd be walking out demanding a refund for such insane plot lines. But this is not a movie. And your voice of sanity is Dan Newman. There is no sanity coming out of the state of California. Well, there's some. Very little. Not very much coming out of the governor's mansion, that's for sure. Gavin Newsom is one of the, I got to be honest with you, one of the most radical people in government. And this guy has been coddled his entire life. I mean, from day one. We'll get into his story at some point in the future because it's going to be very important to know who Gavin Newsom is. You know why I say that? It's likely he's going to try hard to be the Democrat nominee for president in 2026. As a matter of fact, when he was elected governor of California, I predicted in writing and on a TNN live show that he would be the next Democrat in line after Joe Biden to be the president of the United States. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of TNN Live. Got one more day after today, and then you got a weekend. That means football. And I'm sure you can tell if you listen. I'm a huge football fan. I love football. Played football, watched a lot of football, owned a couple of two professional football teams, and I just like football. I've got two grandsons right now that are playing football for Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport. One's on the middle school team, the other's on the varsity and the junior varsity teams. And I watch them both. That means I've got three football games for grandsons a week. Then I have two granddaughters that are really good soccer players, the twins. And they're getting into soccer in just a few weeks. And it'll be two or three games. We're going to be all over the place. But there's no better life for Nani and Poppy to live than chasing our grandkids around watching and being involved in the things they're involved in. And if you've got that opportunity, we know we're blessed. All six of our grandkids live within five miles of us. We're all right here together and we're together all the time. We're a very close family. If you have the ability, even if it means a little extra time, a little extra effort, and maybe a little more gasoline, Don't lose these years with your kids and then with your grandkids. There is no substitute that works as good, nearly as good, as for you to be face-to-face directly involved in the lives of your kids and your grandkids. And I know for many of you, it's impossible because you got two jobs, some of the jobs, strange hours. I mean, we have tons of people in the medical community in Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana, And so a lot of those people work these crazy shifts. And so it's difficult at best to be able to contribute by being there for your kids and their extracurricular activities. But you can't do anything more important than spending time with them. Aggressively find ways to make that happen. And you know what? Make sure they understand without shoving it down their throats by saying this, you know what? I don't understand why you don't appreciate me. I work all day or I work all night and then I don't get any sleep. I get up to get you off to school. I buy your clothes. I make sure you have everything you need and you just don't appreciate me. 
you don't understand. Don't ever say that to your kids. The first time you say it, your relationship is in the tank immediately. Now it's salvageable in most cases, but they never forget, never do they forget what mom and dad say about being with them. If you really want them to believe you want to be with them, there's only one way. Be with them. Wow, how did we get off on that tangent? I guess basically Gavin Newsom took us there. And it is kind of ironic. California is leading the charge to get rid of fossil fuel. They're finding out right now, way before the get into fossil fuel thing is supposed to happen, you can't just turn and walk away from it. Or you can, but then you find yourself in some conundrums that you can't just automatically go to the cupboard and pull the answers out, whatever the things you need to make this cake work. You can't do it because there are too many moving parts. And you can't flip the switch back on just like Joe Biden flipped it off on the first day he was president of the United States and did his thing to destroy fossil fuel. And then we have all these spending bills and every one of them, every single one of them, you know what it does? It feeds taxpayer money into renewable energy and not just the the overarching technology. You know, that's very global and there aren't people involved in that. There aren't companies you can't see. You don't know who it is. Well, they're out there. They are. And you need to learn who they are. Why? Because you're funding them. And you're funding their representatives, which are generally in large part lobbyists in lobbying firms in Washington, D.C. It's all about the money. Follow the money. Billions of taxpayer dollars have already been spent on this electric grid, electric cars. Do you know every Tesla that hits the roads? You and I have paid Elon Musk a stipend per car just because he got these in the grant form by the federal government back at the beginning of Tesla. Grant money, grant money. That doesn't even take into account the people out there, the politicians that grease the wheels. Do you think that AOC and Talita, uh, what's her name, Talita Shalib? Do you think they don't get dollars and cents out of their hard, hard push to the left on energy, renewable energy? You don't think that somehow they're representing some people and representing some people when those conversations come up in committee hearings about bills that will further enhance the taxpayer involvement with their clients, these electric energy companies. And I'll just say this and then shut up about renewable energy today. It is physically impossible to fuel this nation with the combination and no other energy source other than a combination of wind, solar, wind and solar. Where else do we get energy stuff from? Wind and solar and battery. It's physically impossible to run this nation's energy sector on just those three. Fossil fuels must figure into the equation. 
And instead of being stupid and flipping the, the switch off on fossil fuel on Inauguration Day, as did Joe Biden, why not do this? Let all three of these sectors, the people that are involved in them at the top, let them prove to the American people and our government what they can absolutely positively do for sure in the way of transitioning the nation away from its almost 100% reliance on fossil fuel. If they're legitimate, if the technologies they're indicating are sufficient to do this long-term, if that's all true, they'll understand. They'll quit screaming and hollering and begging the federal government to outlaw exploration, drilling of fossil fuel wells for oil and gas and natural gas. And they'll begin to see the fossil fuel industry as it has done for 50 years or longer they have pushed and have every year through technology been able to cut green gas emissions every single year, cut last year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that, for the last 20 years. Every year the U.S. fossil fuel industry cuts its carbon emissions at a greater percentage than does any other country on the planet. We're making progress. We were making progress way before Mayor Pete got up there and began to tout these electric cars. They're just $60,000. Everybody should buy one of those and replace those big gas hogs. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody could do that? And just because Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg said it, the transportation secretary, that certainly doesn't mean it's so. So what happened Overnight, What are the big stories of um, the day, the week, the month so far? I know you heard yesterday the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, he warns, he warned us after he and his group, his board, raised the prime interest rate, a three-quarter of a cent jump at one time. That's the highest level since 2008. That's a lot, folks. Federal Reserve has issued another supersized increase to interest rates, and it's all to stop or reduce inflation and begin to drive it back to where it was when Donald Trump was president. But what happens when they raise rates? It deepens the risk of a sharp economic downturn, and job losses are a necessary, absolute result of raising interest rates. Companies have to pull in. I mean, if you're a company... What do you do as a company? You provide for somebody, you provide goods, you provide services, things that people want, corporations want, other corporations. You create a widget that everybody wants to have. And to make that process go, you've got to go hire people involved in every sector of building it, transporting it wherever it has to go, and then selling it and servicing it. All those things factor in. And your company... And when you sell your widget, you're only going to be able to sell it for so much. You can usually temporarily raise the rates, the cost to your consumers a little bit. But eventually what's going to happen? We're about to see it. People are going to start losing jobs. At the end of its two-day policy meeting on Wednesday, the Fed, 
our U.S. Central Bank raised their rates by 0.75% for the third time to a range of 3% to 3.25%. The Fed is attempting to cool down the economy, trying to slow it down. It's still kind of booming out there, and they're doing it to try to tame rampant inflation, which remains stubbornly high at 8.3%. But as those rates climb, the path to a so-called soft landing is narrowing. Most reputable economists, they're increasingly projecting a hard landing marked by a sharp increase in unemployment. And Fed Chair Powell admitted yesterday achieving a soft landing is going to be very challenging. We've always understood that restoring price stability while achieving a relatively modest increase in unemployment would be very challenging, he said. No one knows whether this process will lead to a recession, or if so, how significant that recession would be, he added. That's the Fed chairman. And he has spit out the ages-long formula for deciding who's, who's in a recession. And those couple of things have got to play in, at least they had to play in before this year, and this president, and this administration. Those are the two things that you can measure whether or not we're in a recession. And we met those three months ago. And here's the Fed chairman refusing to say, we're already in a recession. I don't need to talk to you about uh, the rising cost of everything. The median unemployment forecast of the Fed at their September monetary policy meeting earlier in the month, rose to 4.4% for next year. Now, how does that compare? That's up 3.9% at the July meeting. So it's up a half a point in one month. The forecast for 24 was increased to 4.4% from 4.1%. Inflation is running at 2.8% by the end of Next year is what they're projecting. That's up from 2.6%, 2.3% the year after that, up from 2.2%. The figure for the end of this was revised up to 5.4% from 5.2%. In July, which is the most data available through July, the personal consumption price index, that's the measure the feds prefer to look at inflation with was up 6.3%. What that means, I don't even need to tell you. Your job may be in jeopardy. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying now might be a good time to talk to your boss, have a serious sit-down about your job and what's ahead under these economic conditions for his company and just get some peace or at least get some facts that you can process in your mind and your family can process so it doesn't, if there's going to be a change, it won't just be a slap in the face. You can't predict everything. Economies are really strange and they vary from different parts of the country, different states, different cities, different sectors of certain states. The economies all are determined on so many moving parts that nobody can come up with a single number on anything, on anything. I remember in Northwest Louisiana in the late 90s, oil and gas, my gosh, it was everywhere. All across Louisiana, one of the biggest oil and gas producers on the planet for years. 
And in the late 80s, it just dried up in northwest Louisiana. The demand for oil and gas went way down. That meant people were becoming unemployed very rapidly. It was so tough in northwest Louisiana. Shreveport, Louisiana, which is kind of the, if there was going to be a capital of a, of a state called North Louisiana, it would be Shreveport, several hundred thousand people. Right across the river, the Red River is Bossier City, another hundred thousand people. And we had a, what I thought was a pretty diverse economy. We did have a lot of oil and gas business, but we had a lot of hotels. We've had uh, gambling on the river. We've got five riverboat casinos. They bring in a lot of money. They bring in a lot of Democrat uh, Democrat, a lot of employee necessities. So jobs stay pretty level in that regard. But what happened was people didn't realize what a great impact on the economy here was oil and gas. And we really went into the tank, and I mean bad. You couldn't get a job. I'm a lifer in Louisiana. I was born in Houston, but at four, my family moved to South Louisiana. Been in Louisiana ever since. Went to high school in Shreveport, college at Louisiana Tech University. Met my wife there. Our kids were born in Louisiana. We've lived here for many, many years. Never even gave thought about needing to leave Louisiana for work. But we did. We went to Indianapolis. And those people up there, they looked at us with stars in their eyes when we tried to explain what we came from moving from northwest Louisiana to Indianapolis. At that time, Indianapolis was, a uh, well, two and a half million people. Economy, very, very diverse. All kinds of industries, you name it. Of course, you had the big racetrack there, and it was really just a one-time deal. But a lot of other things. Indiana University had a presence there. We had the NFL team, the Colts. We had the NBA team, the Pacers. In fact, I was a PA announcer for the Indiana Pacers. We fell in love with the city. Unemployment at that time was under 3%. Demographics were very diverse. It was just a great place. And what it did, it gave us two years of breathing room so we could realize, you know what? What Northwest Louisiana going is going through right now, it's fluid. It's going to change, and sure enough, it did. I told you that story just to illustrate how difficult it is to depend on what our government paints for us as the reality and the perfect picture of our economy, our being in your town, your state, your city, as compared to other places in the United States. We're all adults. We're smart enough to be able to pick out for ourselves the good things and the bad things. And just because one sector of people think it's good doesn't make it good. Just because one sector thinks it's bad doesn't make it bad. And it sometimes is not the same for everybody across the spectrum of those living in any part of the country. It impacts different people in different ways. It makes it really difficult for people to be able to make clear fact-based decisions about employment, about your home, where you live, what you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, what you eat. All of that feeds in 
to whether or not where you are is a good deal. That's something each of us has to make a decision on ourselves. And it's tough to depend on our government to give us that kind of information. And let me tell you one thing that is constant, always in U.S. history. Everybody that works in Washington, D.C., I'm talking about people in the White House, that administration, I'm talking about all the cabinet secretaries, the employees there, those around the nation that work for these agencies in the government, the FBI, Department of Justice, everybody there, 535 members of Congress, they're all going to be fine. Even though they tell us how worried they are because they are our representatives and they know we're going to speak to them, we're going to live in the world that they have created the political posturing that directly and indirectly impact our money, you know, that inflation thing. Even though they know that, they know that pretty much they've got at least two years left on their gig. So they can plan ahead just in case I can't win re-election. I need to start looking. And almost without exception, if you're a member of that particular segment that I just mentioned to you, the detail, you're pretty much guaranteed a really good job, probably making more money after you finish your work in the government because then you become an expert. And then you can go out and shop your wares, your abilities, but more importantly, you can shop all of your government contacts. And these lobbying firms, they foam at the mouth to bring in somebody, especially attorneys that have been serving in Congress. Why? I don't get it. I would want the best salesman in America if I was a lobbying firm. Somebody that could go into a corporation and convince them they can't live in the nation without hiring us to be their spokespersons to the legislators in the U.S. Congress. That's number one. Every other entity, I mean, news, other types of journalism, all of those feed from the bureaucratic system in Washington, D.C. It very seldom changes. And if it changes, it changes very little. And it's not going to change a whole lot, even up until the 2024 elections. I think if for some reason Republicans can't take back the House, put in a significant majority there, if that can't be done, I think they're going, you think they have put together spending crazy money in the 18 months of the Joe Biden administration? If they control the House and the Senate come January, we need to be looking for another planet on which to live because there will be no ability for taxpayers to pay their tax bills because of the taxes are going to be piled on by this administration. I'm not kidding about that. What Fed Chairman Powell should have said yesterday, he should have used at the end of it or somewhere in his speech, the D word, depression. There are economists out there that aren't anywhere involved in a political narrative and what they come up with. They're economists, true economists, not politicians. There are three or four very credible economists that say we're in a recession now and have been, and it's going to deepen. But it's moving down so fast, 
we could find ourselves in an honest-to-goodness depression, which has never been seen in our lifetimes. Our parents, they barely remembered it. We're looking at that as a realistic possibility. Wow. Well, let's move on. Ted Cruz is back in the news. And I got to be honest with you, um, when I heard about this yesterday, I just scratched my head. I cannot believe what we're hearing about what I'm about to tell you about Ted Cruz. I find it hard to believe it's true. He's caved to the Democrats on pending legislation that we've talked about here that will allow media organizations, big ones, to create what's called a formal cartel. For what purpose? To negotiate with big tech companies. Now, what's that all about? Well, if Cruz goes forward with his plans to back and allow the Senate to advance this bill, he will immediately become one of the biggest enablers of the establishment media and big tech giants, and he could seriously jeopardize his political future. Now, let me let me put this in the context of what it really is. Cruz, he had previously jammed up a committee markup on what's called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, JCPA. He was the thorn in the flesh for big tech a few weeks ago. Well, he's now decided to give Senator Klobuchar of Minnesota what she wanted to allow the Democrat proposal to go out of the Senate Judiciary Committee to eventually be considered by the full U.S. Senate. What does that mean for conservatives? It means it's most likely in every one of those scenarios, we have 50 Republican senators, 50 Democrat senators. Anytime there's a 50-50 tie, the deciding vote is cast by the president of the Senate, which happens to be the vice president of the United States senator, well, used to be senator, now vice president Kamala Harris. And she's going to vote with the Democrats every time. So if Cruz has decided he's going to walk away from his commitment to his constituents in Texas, and he's going to open the door for the Democrats to get this legislation to the full Senate for a vote, you can bet Section 230, which is the legislation that's been in place for years, and what does that legislation do? You can't sue Facebook or Google or Twitter, or any of the social media giants for objecting to and eliminating or blocking content that goes on their social media platforms. In other words, the federal government is indemnifying these people against litigation. Same thing they did by forcing any drug that's being used to treat COVID-19 the Pfizer, the Moderna, the Johnson & Johnson vaccinations, and other drugs. They put them and leave them, the FDA does, in EUA status, emergency use authorization, which means as long as they are labeled EUA, you can't sue Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. Why? Federal government has indemnified them against liability. It's all a, a scam. And so what conservatives in Congress have wanted to do is 
go back and look and reshape Section 230. If the big tech companies actually violate the First Amendment, you can't force them, the government can't even force them to do it or not to do it because they're private corporations. But what they can do is start eliminating the protection under Section 230 that the federal government, not the people, but the federal government's representatives gave to these big tech companies. Several aides on both sides of this JCPA fight that are familiar with the matter said yesterday that Cruz caved to Klobuchar and he has agreed to changes in language that he offered in an amendment to allow the bill to go forward. When in question repeatedly about it on Wednesday, nobody in Cruz's office would say anything. Cruz himself, he won't reply to inquiries from various news media sent over text directly to him. Several Cruz staffers have refused to answer whether he cut a deal with Klobuchar and they've refused to make the senator available for an interview to explain himself. One Cruz spokesperson would only provide when asked for details and serious questions about the possibility of this deal and what form the deal would take. A generic statement claiming that Cruz opposes censorship of conservatives something that would be inherently untrue if he votes for or even just enables the Senate to consider this bill. Despite Cruz's office refusal to answer any specific questions, the Senate Judiciary Committee is considering the bill again for the third week in a row. This was yesterday. Late Wednesday, the committee circulated a clarifying amendment that does exactly what the various committee aides said that Cruz had caved to Klobuchar on. It alters the original Cruz amendment text and removes things that Klobuchar said she could not support. So our buddy down in Baton Rouge, Senator John Kennedy, who had previously undercut the broader bill to back Cruz's amendment three weeks ago in committee, confirmed that Cruz caved to Klobuchar on record to the Daily Caller This is unfathomable to even think it's real. Proponents of the JCPA, like John Kennedy and now Cruz, have falsely claimed it would help conservatives fight back against big tech. It does no such thing. Among the serious structural problems, it's included no favored nations clause contained in it, which means that a group of media companies could get together on their own and negotiate a sweetheart deal with one big tech company, but that deal would not apply to every media company. Here's what Kennedy's office said. We have reached an agreement that clarifies what the bill was designed to do. Give local news outlets a real seat at the negotiating table. Bar the tech firms from throttling, filtering, suppressing, or curating content. The only reason I can see for parties to oppose this bill is that they have a problem either with healthy market competition or free speech. This bill will not protect you and me from the violation of the First Amendment by big tech. It won't do it. There are too many moving parts. And you think that Congress 
even has the fortitude to stick their noses in and ignore the tens of millions of dollars that they're getting on the backside of all of this from who? Mark Zuckerberg. All the other big tech owners. It's done legally, of course, with the exception of maybe what Mark Zuckerberg and his bride did, funneling those hundreds, several hundred millions of dollars to local election offices before the 2020 election, and they would give that money to assist them with things that will enhance the voting process. There's only one answer on this, and I'm going to move on. There's only one answer. There's only one solution that's actually viable, that's real. And nobody's talking about it. Cancel Section 230. Just repeal it. If they want to be private corporations in the marketplace, by jingos, be private corporations in the marketplace. You produce a product, a service that people don't want, or it creates something that creates problems for people that makes somebody liable and that somebody would be you. And we, like you, don't really want a trove of lawyers lined up on the front door of Facebook and Twitter every week serving lawsuits for violation of consumers' First Amendment rights. We don't want to see that happen. But if what you're doing falls into that category and you've done something wrong according to the law, even not criminal, but civilly, hey, you're a private corporation. You can do what you want. Go do what you want. We're not going to cover for stuff that you does that impacts our voters. You work for them, not for us. Big tech doesn't think they work for us. (laughs) They think they work for big tech. And almost everybody in big tech is a far-left Democrat. Almost all of them live in California. Well, many of them aren't Democrats. They're Asian. And we opened the door and gave them permanent status to come here and work. Lot to cover up, folks. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. 
Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. We spent the first half hour talking about Trump, Biden, the legislation out there, senators broiled in conflict and very, very dangerous grounds for them, including John Kennedy from here in Louisiana, one of my favorite people. We have his uh, interviews often here at TNN Live. He's a great guy, I know him personally, but I think he's close to messing things up for the consumers he represents here in Louisiana. A lot of other stuff out there. So, it seems like every day there's more news, more negative fallout that comes from President Biden's appearance on CBS's 60 Minutes this weekend. What's the latest about Joe Biden on 60 Minutes? I rise today to reiterate an important statement made by our president. The pandemic is over. This weekend on 60 Minutes, President Biden finally said what most Americans have known for months. We are no longer in the COVID-19 pandemic. So if the president just admitted it, that means the national emergency is over, correct? Well, If that's the case, then why did the president just tell the country that the pandemic is so bad that we should forgive billions of dollars of student debt? Or that it's because of the ongoing pandemic that we must continue to enforce a vaccine mandate on our nation's military? I'll tell you why. It's because it was never about the pandemic. It was about the president bypassing Congress and the Constitution to push his radical socialist agenda. Mr. Speaker, President Biden himself has said the pandemic is over. It is past time that we strip him of his emergency powers and end the vaccine mandates and reject all COVID-related funding requests. And with that, Mr. Speaker, I yield back. You know, it seems that even when facts counter the narrative that we continually hear coming out of the White House, of course, at the behest of the President of the United States, and then people begin to fact check things that he says, his own people walk back almost daily a commitment that he made. The latest was he was asked on the 60-minute thing about our deal regarding Russia and China and Taiwan, all of those rolled in together. And he just consistently, every time he's asked a question in a one-on-one interview, which doesn't happen very often, I think that was his second sit-down with a national network for a one-on-one interview since he became president. And by the way, it was not live. It was recorded very much earlier and edited because nobody's going to put Joe Biden in a one-on-one interview situation on national television live. They're not going to do it. I mean, it would be a huge mistake. Even these outlets don't want that to have mud on their faces from that. 
He just seems to change everything. And he had to walk back yesterday, comments that he made. He doesn't come out and welcome back. I think everybody needs to understand that. He doesn't. He has somebody in his organization to do it. Well, if you've read this morning's story at truthnewsnet.org, it's about John Fetterman, who is currently the lieutenant general, uh, lieutenant governor for the state of Pennsylvania, and he, of course, running for the U.S. Senate seat that was or is being vacated by Senator Pat Toomey, Republican in Pennsylvania. Of course, Fetterman is a hardcore Democrat, and I mean really a hardcore Democrat. And he's got some uh, very sketchy stuff in his past. And this past week, his campaign has walked back his apparent call to really, listen to this, he wants to be a U.S. senator. He's called back in his previous government office, which was mayor of a little town in northeast Pennsylvania, 2,000 people live in it. And of course, now he's the lieutenant governor. He has walked back his call to release all second-degree murderers that have life sentences to release them from Pennsylvania's prisons. He did that back in 2019. Lieutenant Governor, Chairman of the State's Board of Pardons, too, had two reports commissioned about the 1,166 people in the Keystone State who are serving life without parole for second-degree murder. And you know why they were doing that? It was because the laws of Pennsylvania set the facts, require the criteria for somebody to be sentenced for this stuff based upon their crimes, and the people's elected folks in government determine through trial whether these people are guilty of the crime they were charged with or not. These people murdered people. 1116 excuse me, 1,166 people. He wants to just open the doors and let them go home. I hope that it could lead to a conversation that would free close to 1,200 people of a legacy that never made sense, he said, during a press conference about the reports in March of last year, 2021. Two months later, Fetterman said freeing second-degree murderers, these life sentences, would provide massive saving for taxpayers adding mercy must be a partner to justice and is meant for the deserving and rehabilitated. He previously called to end life sentences for individuals who were found guilty of second-degree murder but did not pull the trigger. This week, a spokesperson for Fetterman's campaign said that his comments are being taken out of context. That's the go-to whenever you've stepped in your own stuff your spokespeople will always come out and say, oh, you're taking those out of context. And that the nominee does not support freeing all convicts serving life without parole for second-degree murder. That makes it a little okay. Not okay, but just a little okay. His campaign said he supports common-sense criminal justice reforms that keep Pennsylvania safe and protected while saving taxpayers money and thinks there are some convicted second-degree murderers who should remain incarcerated. And he went none there. Pennsylvania is the nation's leading state 
for gas production by way of fracking. I don't know if you know what that is, but it was discovered, to be honest with you, first down in Louisiana, northwest Louisiana, the Haynesville Shell zone underground. It's very deep, and there is tons of natural gas in it. But it's hard to get it out of the rock formations. So what happens is they drill these very deep. When I say deep, I'm talking about 15,000 feet. You know, that's like four, five, six miles down. And it's directional. Not only do they go straight down, that when they get to a point, they have the ability and the machinery to then change directions of the drilling. And it goes out and creates different lines going out into the rock formation. And then they frack it by forcing chemicals down that hole, which will go out into the rock formation and force the natural gas to come back to the drill hole. And of course, if it's natural gas, it's on its own volition, it's going to come to the surface. And it is amazing how much of that is down there. Well, Pennsylvania's even got more of it than Louisiana does. In 2016, Fetterman signed a pledge to ban fracking in Pennsylvania and to halt new fossil fuel leasing nationwide. He also wrote on Reddit that the fossil fuel industry is a stain on Pennsylvania and its natural resources. Most of Pennsylvania's natural resources are oil and gas. (laughs) I'm just being honest. And the other biggie is coal. Fetterman has switched his position and now wants to preserve the union jobs in Pennsylvania in the fossil fuel industry. According to his campaign, they said, John believes that we have to preserve the union way of life for the thousands of workers currently employed or supported by the fossil fuel industry in Pennsylvania and the communities where they live. This campaign worker, Calvello is her name said John does not support a fracking moratorium or a ban. In fact, throughout his career, John has stood up to politicians to fight for U.S. Steel's right to build fracking wells. He also said that right now our energy security is paramount, apparently suggesting fossil fuels are necessary. But then again, Fetterman says that climate change is, quote, an existential threat to our existence here on this planet and pledged to be at the tip of the spear in the transition away from fossil fuels, revealing an effort by Fetterman to keep his progressive base motivated without alienating voters in a state that is reliant on the oil and gas industry. In Arizona, Democrat gubernatorial nominee Katie Hobbs, she flipped her position on Title 42, which is the public health authority exercised by the Trump administration that permits border officials to expel migrants without allowing them to apply for asylum in order to stop or limit the spread of COVID-19. Biden administration has repeatedly tried to lift Title 42, but its efforts have been blocked by a federal judge in my state. Critics argue ending ending that health measure is only going to add to the ongoing crisis at our border, which has stent historically high levels of illegal immigration since Biden entered office. In early April, a local Arizona news station asked Hobbs if she supports Biden's efforts to lift the measure. Title 42 isn't working, Hobbs said. Just three weeks later, 
The candidate urged Biden to reverse his rash decision to end the policy. Hobbs added, lifting Title 42 without a clear plan to secure our border would be a disaster, apparently reversing her position, along with other swing state Democrats. And we could go on and on and on. Just wanted to point those two out. Those are the ones that are in our faces right now. Now, probably the most insane story of the day. When I heard this, it was late night last night. I don't even remember which station I was listening to. I was writing, and you know how you do that sometimes. You're sitting at a computer, TV's on in the other part of the room. Actually, in my case, it was in the other room. Sitting and writing, and I heard this story, and I got up and walked in to get the facts, and it just blew me away. The far-left state of California is now embracing neo-paganism. What's going on there? No surprise who's at the foot of it. Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom. He signed a bill into law that now allows the practice of composting dead human beings and the justification for doing that is to better combat climate change. What's the background of this? Citing high CO2 carbon emissions that are associated with cremation, the bill will give people the option to give their dead remains over to a process known as natural organic reduction, NOR, should they not want to be buried or cremated. The process involves placing the body in it, and if you haven't had breakfast yet, you may not, you may want to dial out for a minute. It involves placing the body inside a long reusable steel container along with wood chips and flowers to aerate it. That allows microbes and bacteria to break down the remains. A month later, the remains will fully decompose and be turned into soil. The act of cremation reportedly accounts for 360,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide per year. California Democrat and Assembly member Christina Garcia, she authored the bill. She praised NOR as a more environmentally friendly practice that will give people more options for their desired burial. She wrote this, with climate change and sea level rise as very real threats to our environment. This is an alternative method of final disposition that won't contribute emissions into our atmosphere. I look forward to continuing my legacy to fight for clean air by using my reduced remains to plant a tree. So, listen to this. The details of this. The devil's always in the details. The bill will make it illegal to combine human remains without permission, combine, or unless the two are related. It will be illegal to sell the soil or use it for agricultural purposes. And, of course, the Catholic Church has come out. They strongly oppose the practice of NOR, charging it was meant for livestock. NOR uses essentially the same process as a home gardening composting system. (laughs) That was said by Kathleen Domingo, executive director of the California Catholic Conference. These methods of disposal were used to lessen the possibility of disease being transmitted by the dead carcass, using the same methods for the uh, transformation of human remains can create an unfortunate spiritual, emotional, and psychological distancing from the deceased. 
it's a good thing. The law won't take effect until 2027. And it won't surprise you, the states of Washington, Colorado, and Oregon, they already have that law in place. That shouldn't shock anybody, should it? (laughs) Well, hey, don't forget as you head for the weekend. Weekends are really important times here. We published our, our most read series every Saturday morning. When you get up Saturday morning, grab your computer, get you a cup of coffee, go to truthnewsnet.org, and the top story is always our Saturday bullet points. We go back and grab the top 10 to 15 big stories of the week, some of which you may have missed totally, some of it you heard some highlights, but you didn't get all the details, and we put them in bullet format for you to go look at two or three sentences that describes each story. And if you you don't know anything about it and you want further details, there's a little blue arrow at the end of the sentences. That's a hyperlink. You just click on it. It'll take you to a full story. If you've already read or you've heard about the story and don't want any more details, just go on to the next bullet point. Again, there are 10 to 15 of those stories. It's an easy way to spend an hour or two on your Saturday morning just catching up on what you may have missed along the way during your week. Again, that's every Saturday. We are now um, contemplating and we have put some feelers out to add a separate, a second during the week, a second story in the evening time in bullet point format that does the same thing. The top 10 to 15 stories of the day, and maybe it'll be instead of 10 to 15, 5 to 10, maybe 4 to 8. We don't know yet. And a lot of it has to depend upon what's going on in the U.S. We're contemplating doing that every day, which would give you a way to not worry about missing any news during the day. You could just come back, grab your computer, and you have the bullet point format there to look at. We'll keep you posted on that. We've got some really serious other things to talk about. We'll get into that right after this. TNN Live. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, 
we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Have you heard the name Dave Rubin, R-U-B-I-N? I'm a Rubin fan. Now, he is a guy, uh, he has a great podcast. He does it himself. It's not a big, uh, oh, I don't know, it's it's not real high-tech they don't have a big set on behind him and all the gadgets that go along with it. It's him looking in the camera. He's a very, very well-spoken man. My guess is he's probably in his early 40s. But he has the ability to look at things that happen and analyze them in a realistic way for everybody to kind of get a, a real inside scoop on when we see these things our government is involved in, what they're doing. And we're told the purposes were this, 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 and this, and none of that meets the smell test. And we start trying to come up with answers for what is the real deal going on. He's really good at looking at things as they happen and being able to make a concise explanation of what's really going on. Got him twice between here and 11 o'clock when the show ends. Two segments, but this one really caught me. The chaos, the pure hypocrisy that's going on across the nation from Democrats about Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott flying those 48 illegals from San Antonio, Texas to Florida, then from Florida to Martha's Vineyard. Listen to Dave's analysis. I think you'll like this. So this DeSantis story and what happened related to flying 50 people to Martha's Vineyard, which DeSantis said he was going to do, He got the money in his budget. The Democrats in the state Senate voted for it, okay? Now they're all calling him racist on the very same thing that they voted for. Uh, It's exposing hypocrisy at the most extraordinary levels. As I said on Friday, this is like one of the best red pill moments. It's such a great story because it's showing how inept all of these people are. So here is our black lesbian press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, getting called out at the White House uh, for doing the same thing that DeSantis did. This is apparently, um, you know, he, he said it was essentially no different than what the federal government has done in uh, sending, you know, flights in the middle of the night. That's what he's characterized it. Uh, you know, uh, taking migrants to various different states. Do you have a response to that? So we are offering solutions. That's what the Biden-Harris administration has been doing since day one, including on the first day putting forth a comprehensive immigration reform to deal with this issue. God, she's incredible. Like, it's not, I don't know what questions she's answering. It doesn't matter. She just has a we offering solutions. It's sort of like Kamala. Remember the video we showed you last week? Is the border secure? Every nation has a border. They just answer questions that have nothing to do with nothing. They say words to get to the period in the sentence so the sentence is over and they've done nothing but take you on a ride of BS. So, of course, what they're referring to there is that the federal government, we know this, has put migrants on planes when they cross over the border and then sent them all over the country. We know, so DeSantis said, hey, I'm just doing the same thing that they've been doing. Um, and she has no response to that, of course. And then you get all these clowns that are trying to figure out a way to, to sue DeSantis and everything else. But again, if you just look at the reality, whether, whether you think it's a political ploy, whether you don't like the tone of any of this, or if you think it's just mutually assured destruction, 
what what is next to all of that is one guy did exactly what he said he was going to do, and then one guy Biden didn't do what he said he was going to do because they say that there's a border, but now these people are pouring in. So there obviously isn't a safe border. And then you have these crazy Democrats with their idea of sanctuary cities and Martha's Vineyard. They had a big thing at town hall about nobody's illegal and everything else. And then when 50 people showed up, they get 150 National Guard and they boot them in 24 hours. It's rather extraordinary. It's hypocritical. There's no better word to describe what's going on in this administration and the Democrats around the nation. The pushback that I hear about what happened, it's just uncanny. It's unrealistic. It's like the people that are saying these things are living on the edge of the moon. They're void of reality. They just don't understand. Or even worse, they understand, but yet they're going to lie misrepresent the real truths that they know and do it in the name of democracy. That's what Biden names everything that anybody says dissenting from what he wants to do, his opinions about anything. We're protecting democracy and you're attacking democracy. How so? Well, it's because you disagree with me. Anytime you disagree with them, that means you're an ultra-MAGA person, you're a homophobe, Islamophobe, xenophobe, all of those things rolled into one. They resort to identity politics, but even worse, name-calling. And I got to be honest with you, at my house, on this show, that don't fly. And this doesn't fly. A diversity and inclusion training by the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado now is instructing cadets to use words that include all genders and to refrain from saying things like mom and dad. It's in a slide presentation. It's titled Diversity and Inclusion, What It Is, Why We Care, and What We Can Do. It advises cadets to use person-centered and gender-neutral language when describing individuals. Some families are headed by single parents, grandparents, foster parents, two moms, two dads, etc. Consider using parent or caregiver instead of mom and dad. That's in this presentation. Use words that include all genders, folks, or y'all, instead of guys, partner versus boyfriend or girlfriend, not colorblind, or I don't see color, but color conscious, it adds. We see color slash patterns and value people for their uniqueness. So as you can imagine, real conservatives, especially those in government, have gone stark raving crazy. Representative Mike Walls, a Republican Republican from Florida, He's an ex-Green Beret, an Afghan war veteran. He pointed out during an interview that it's been a tradition in the military to get letters from mom and dad or your boyfriend and girlfriend for as long as there's been a military. Now we're instructing every cadet entering the Air Force to not use the words mom and dad, to not say boyfriend or girlfriend. And this kind of drives towards gender neutrality, he said. 
I think the Air Force should be worried about the macroaggressions against America that are happening all over the world. He wasn't done. The diversity and inclusion training also includes an exercise asking these cadets to separate into small groups and to write down as many G-animals or animals that start with the letter G that they can think of in one minute's time. What does this activity show us about the power of combining our diverse perspectives? That's what the activity asks. If this were an operational U.S. Air Force, United States Space Force challenge, of course, what risk might be present if we did not fully leverage them, the diversity out of our group? I got to be honest with you. I'm 69 years old. I can tell you the address at which my family lived, moved from Houston, Texas to Lafayette, Louisiana. I can tell you the address. And that was when I was four years old, 65 years ago. 404 Daniel Drive, Lafayette, Louisiana. Our first phone number was center 23596, CE 23596. I can tell you all of that. I'm a very observant person. I'm a detail kind of guy. But I have problems with all of the names and labels. I live in a circle where there are so many people I interact with on a daily basis. It's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's improbable for me to be able held accountable to remember all that. Can you imagine? You've lived your life talking to your mom and the dad on the phone. You've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend your whole life. And now you can't say those anymore and you have to replace them with these stupid labels. Some of them, I can't even compute what they mean. Some families are headed by single parents, grandparents, foster parents, two moms, two dads. Consider parent, I said parent, that's pretty much what it is. Parent or caregiver instead of mom and dad. Use words that include all genders like folks or y'all. I got to be honest with you. When you go to the Big Apple, you go to Chicago, especially you go to the Northwest. If you say somebody and label them y'all, they will laugh their butts off at you because they know you're one of those stupid people from the deep South. They don't even want us to use the term colorblind. And I'm just getting used to saying that. Or I don't see color. But what they want us to say, the conscious thing to say, is to use this term, color conscious. It says, we see color slash patterns and value people for their uniqueness. i got to be honest with you. I don't think there's anywhere in the Constitution where any of this is discussed. But it is labeled very broadly when it tells us and teaches us and gives us laws that have amendments, by the way, a very good amending process, everything that's included in the Constitution can be amended by the people and their representatives. There is no instruction as to what we are to label people as a group. I heard it from the very beginning of the the militization of race when it happened back in the 60s. 
race, 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 this race, that race. There's only one race on the planet. It's a human race. The rest of us are just included. And yes, we have diversity and we're different, but I don't believe you should call me or label me anything because I want you to or tell you to. What I want you to do and expect you to do it is to just call me what I am. I used to have this thing in arena football. First day of training, my head coach would ask me to get up and just say a few words to the players. And we had 35 that came to training camp every year. So there were 35 players there. Some are coming back, so I already knew them. But the new guys, ask them to stand and tell us about you. Every one of them would, would say, I'm a, I'm a wide receiver from Duke University, or I'm a quarterback uh, from Florida State, a lineman from Alabama. I didn't ask them what they did. I asked them who they were. Instead of saying, my name is, I live in, and I went to this university. They're telling you with that who they are, not what they do. If I talk to you and ask you the same question, what would you tell me? I'm a man. I'm Dan Newman. That's who I am. Well, what do you do, Dan? Well, I do a show Monday through Friday, a streaming show that becomes a podcast at 11 o'clock. It started at 9, and it goes on iHeart Podcast, Spotify Podcast. It goes on Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, TuneIn Podcast, and now Amazon Music Podcast. That's what I do. But who I am? I'm a dad. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a brother-in-law, and I'm a Christian. And yet they want us to say, we need to use words that include everybody. Instead of coming up with this term and telling us, y'all use, don't use folks or y'all. No, use folks or y'all instead of guys or partner. I think we need to do it a little bit differently. Come up with some real names. Would that be a fun exercise to do? Hey, I think I think we should call him Rock. I think we should call her Cal. <laughs> that would even be against their I, I'm just throwing those things out there. This is this is really ridiculous stuff. It really is. And speaking of that, Josh Hawley, Senator from Missouri. He's one of my heroes. Got a great speaking voice, too, but he is very, very educated. And he's really good when he gets in these um, hearings where they're interviewing nominees for various positions in this administration. And this happened, I'm not sure it was yesterday. It was this week. It may have been, it may have been on Tuesday. But Josh Hawley, he blasted a nominee of Joe Biden. Mr. Rickleman, can I start with you? In 2018, the day after the Supreme Court ruled that California couldn't force pro-life pregnancy centers, resource centers, to advertise on behalf of abortion clinics, you wrote an interesting op-ed in the Huffington Post. I have it right here. You said in this op-ed 
that pregnancy resource centers are nothing but faux clinics, that's your word, that pose as real medical facilities. Do you, you remember writing this? I don't remember that particular article, Senator, but I take your word for it. You, you don't, it was 2018, you don't remember writing it? Just not that particular article, but I'm happy to answer whatever questions you may have about it. Well, let me just ask what you meant by faux clinics. Do you stand by that, that pregnancy resource centers are faux clinics that pose as medical facilities? Faux means fake, of course, so you're saying that they're fake clinics? Uh, Senator, I believe the case that you're referring to is the Nifla versus Becerra case, and um, I was involved in that case as an advocate on behalf of Amiki, and the case concerned a California law that was a, a consumer protection law that was enacted after some women reported that they felt misled about the types of services that were available at the centers, and that's all that I was referring to there. Well, no, I'm asking about your, your comments that pregnancy resource centers are faux clinics. We have had representatives from pregnancy resource centers here before this committee testifying under oath who testified that at their centers they employ trained licensed medical professionals so is your is your testimony here that these folks are lying under oath that they're that that's not the case that these centers are all fake Absolutely not, Senator. Again, I was just referring to um, the amicus brief that I'd written as an advocate in that case, which shared stories of women from California who had gone to some pregnancy centers without understanding that they didn't provide any medical services at that particular center. Well, how about this? Is an ultrasound a legitimate medical procedure in your view? Of course, Senator. Okay. So countless pregnancy resource centers provide ultrasounds. Those are medical procedures. Ultrasounds allow fatal abnormal, fetal abnormalities to be diagnosed and treated early on. So surely those aren't faux clinics. Uh, in another article, you said that these clinics cause women to suffer concrete harms to their health. Um, it, that's just confusing to me. I mean, these clinics, and there are thousands of them across the country, including in my home state of Missouri, provide free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, Free prenatal care, free adoption care, free diapers, free clothes, free car seats. Many of them even provide free job training. And yet you're saying that they're faux clinics. Senator, I absolutely support all parents having the resources they need. In that article, I was merely speaking as an advocate about the particular law that had just been um, evaluated by the Supreme Court, which was a consumer protection law in response to some women who had felt misled by well, some centers. You were using the Supreme Court's decision as an opportunity to tarnish and to go after pregnancy resource centers, which is frankly something we've seen from our, our friends here on the left who would like to eliminate these pregnancy resource centers and shut them down all across the country. They're very open about that. I'm just trying to figure out, is that your view too? Would you like to see these pregnancy resource centers that provide this free medical care to women shut down across the country so that free medical care for women is no longer available? Senator, once again, I was just speaking about one particular law uh, in California that was enacted as a consumer protection law just to make sure that all women could have whatever information they needed to make the best decisions for themselves. That's well, all that I was speaking about. Let me ask you about the Supreme Court's decision in the 2007 case, Gonzalez versus Carhartt. You're familiar with that case, I assume. Yes, I know that case. Um, let me just read briefly from the case. Dr. Haskell went in with forceps and grabbed the baby's legs and pulled them down into the birth canal. Then he delivered the baby's body and arms, everything but the head. Then the doctor stuck the scissors into the back of his head and the baby's arms jerked out. 
The doctor opened up the scissors, stuck a high-powered suction tube into the opening, and sucked the baby's brains out. That's partial birth abortion. Congress banned this procedure by bipartisan majority in 2003. Do you think Congress made the right call there? Senator, uh, what I know is that the Supreme Court upheld that act, I believe about 15 years ago, and it's been settled law in the country for all of that time. And of course, I will faithfully follow it if I were so fortunate as to become a judge. Well, I'm asking because in 2019, news outlet, outlet in Oklahoma quoted you saying you oppose any attempt to regulate abortion procedures. The article says that you opposed an, an Oklahoma state law that, quote, bans dismemberment abortions. And it quotes a public statement you released saying, we cannot overstate the harm this decision will have on women in Oklahoma. Politicians should never take medical options off the table for pregnant patients. So you're against bans on partial birth abortion. No, Senator. The law has been settled there for 15 years. And just to be clear, all of the work that I did as an advocate was within the confines of Supreme Court precedent, which allowed states to impose limits on abortion, but also recognized that women should be able to make their own personal medical decisions. Well, my time has expired. I know there are other senators who, who want to ask questions, so I will uh, return, the, uh, return the floor to the chairman. I just want to say in conclusion, Ms. Rickleman, that I have to say that your characterization of pregnancy centers your opposition to, frankly, radical pro-abortion laws, um, I, I think are, are, are very, very troubling. And it gives me grave concern about your nomination. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. That is a, just an example of what happens when most Democrat nominees of any president, it doesn't matter, that would apply to Barack Obama, that would apply to Bill Clinton, any nominees go before the Judiciary Committee in the Senate for confirmation hearing, they are so coached up as to what to say, what not to say, how to answer questionable questions, and be as evasive as you possibly can be. Never be positive about anything you say because it's all going to be torn apart and dissected. Now, what have I always told you about anything in government that is just unsettling to you? You don't understand why they would do this. Why why are they letting all these immigrants come across our southern border? Look what's happening. 100,000 people died of opioid deaths. Most of that death came from opioids smuggled across our southern border with these illegal immigrants. Those are facts. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Why are they objecting to anything and everything that comes out of this U.S. Supreme Court? And I've told you over and over and over again, whenever you have a question about purpose and reasoning coming out of this government, you can resolve it very easily. Every single time you can resolve it. How do you do that? Follow the money. Follow the money. You're going to get your answers when you follow the money. These people, the Democrat Party, I can bet you my bippy that they hire trainers and teachers and coaches and they sit for hours with these nominees for these really important positions. This woman wanted to be a judge, wants to be a judge, an appointee of in a federal district judge for Joe Biden, President Biden. And so she looks at Josh Hawley. She's trained and taught that he's the enemy. 
And so when he asks you questions, push back, but be very, very evasive. That's seriously what's happening there. And I shake my head every time I see or hear it. I would think that there would be more uproar at the, uh, the leadership level in the Senate. They would instruct these witnesses when they come in here, be forthcoming, be thorough in your answers, and don't evade the senators that are questioning you. But they don't do that. They just let the partisanship, the divide of the political party of whatever nominee is sitting there, Just do whatever you want to do. We don't give a rip. In fact, they're all Democrats. Leaders are all Democrat in this Congress. So they really don't give a rip what their counterparts think across the aisle in the Senate. I promise you, it's happening. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items, You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under five dollars, and a happy hour that lasts from four till eight p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food, Take out your wallet. good fun, Give us your money. and good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's, you do, you do. or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's, Airport and South Academy. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the Internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. I tell you about follow the money when you got a questionable thing coming out of Washington DC and you want to know why 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 it's always pretty much dollars and signs involved in it of course how do you control money you control with power so let me ask you this we look around the nation we've watched the insane law breaking happening in these democrat controlled big cities principally and nothing's done to these lawbreakers Nothing. Those in office, I'm talking about the top mayors in big cities, 
they just don't push for law enforcement to do their jobs. In fact, rather, what they do is they attack law enforcement. In many cases, they defund the police forces, and it's all at the purview of their political supporters and the dollars and cents that come in. Now, I want to talk to you about something, and it is dollars and cents involved, but it's really about power. When you start talking about defunding the police, which is still out there, normal people consider that, along with eliminating bail and emptying prisons, as flat-out lunacy. I know I do. Who would do that, and why? Well, Democrats are doing it all over the country. Well, why, Dan? In their deep blue cities where Democrats have ruled without Republican opposition for years, I mean, none whatsoever. I'm talking about Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, New York City, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Democrats have controlled there for years. And in some cases, decades. They have deliberately made their cities less civilized and more dangerous by allowing violent criminals to run free. And of course, we know, we see it, we understand the results of doing this have been devastating everywhere especially in cities like Chicago and New York. Why would Democrats deliberately destroy their own cities? Let me give you some answers. First off, they want to get rid of the city opposition from anybody that is in opposition to the city, of normal people. And the best way to do that is to make the city unlivable for everybody except the super wealthy and the desperately poor. By the way, in case you didn't figure it out yet, leftists hate the middle class. We're the ones who get in their way. The wealthy want to hang on to their wealth and their status, making them easy to corrupt. The poor, they can just as easily be radicalized, organized, manipulated once they're dependent on the state. The middle class, ah, that's a different story. We are generally pretty satisfied with life. We want to be left alone. We don't want government getting more in our lives. You can't corrupt the middle class. You can't bribe the middle class. We're honest people. We want to live uncomplicated lives. We also get in the way of the left social engineering. Who wants a rehab center built across the street? Who wants their child sexualized in school? by some transsexual groomer, and so on and so on. So one way to rid these cities of middle class is to make those cities unlivable for the middle class. And it's pretty simple. Open the prisons, end bail, demoralize the cops in their cities, and allow the terrorists in Antifa and Black Lives Matter to riot whenever, wherever they want to. If Democrats are given a choice between facing opposition from the middle class and small business owners or governing their cities unopposed, even if that means burning down a once vibrant city until it looks like uh, Detroit. Democrats will take Detroit. I mean, I like Detroit. I know downtown Detroit just went to hell in a handbasket, but it's being rebuilt. It's coming back strong. I like it, especially in the suburbs. Allowing criminals to destroy their city offers Democrats one more big benefit. And I bet you haven't thought about this. 
it gives them justification for increasing the surveillance state. The surveillance state. What is that? Well, it's their ability to watch all of us, controlling all of us, and intimidating all of us. So let's look at one. The case of Democrat New York Governor Kathy Hockel. She is literally using the term Big Brother in a positive way. She said this, You think Big Brother's watching you on the subway? That was at a news conference early this week. You're absolutely right. That's our intent, to get the message out that we're going to be having surveillance of activity on the subway, and that's going to give people great ease of mind. After New York Democrats demoralized the police, emptied prisons, eliminated bail, their solution is not to reverse those destructive policies at all. Instead, they're adding surveillance cameras to every subway car in New York City. So let me understand this. How's that going to decrease crimes? Criminals already know they're going to be let loose. Cameras won't decrease the crime. It will allow the government to manufacture an excuse to keep an eye on the public. Speaking of New York City, when Rudy Giuliani was mayor, the Big Apple didn't need cameras to keep the subway safe. Why? Because Giuliani's New York chose to target criminals. Democrats are doing the same thing in Chicago. Rather than reverse their obscene pro-criminal policies, Democrats are suckering the terrified public in Chicago into installing security cameras and then registering those cameras with the government. America knows how to create safe cities. Crime plummeted to lows unseen in decades for some 25 years, starting when? In the middle 90s. Democrats are choosing to increase the violent crime rate. Democrats are choosing to turn their cities into hellscapes. Hey, what's a few hundred rapes and murders if it gives those Democrats the unlimited power that they crave? You've wondered. I've wondered. Where's the win in this? Where is it? And I got to be honest with you. I don't know that there is a win there. But the people in these big cities and in these big blue control states, they better come to their senses and they better do what it takes to salvage what's left of their cities and state. Because Big Brother is out there. And he's spreading money around willy-nilly. And he has willing acceptors of that money in Democrat politicians. I know there are corrupt Republicans, but it's not across the board. It's not at the level near the level as we're seeing play out. And by the way, this explanation that I gave you, it's the only plausible one out there that explains why all of these blue-controlled big cities are doing these exact same things. It's coordinated. It's planned. And it's part of a policy. Now, we talk about the Department of Justice here quite often for a bunch of reasons, but principally because they're in the news every day. A grand jury subpoena, one of dozens that was served in the last couple of weeks, 
and indicates that the Department of Justice is conducting a criminal investigation into activities questioning the integrity of the 2020 presidential election, including the appointments of alternate slates of electors and disputing the veracity of the election results that have been turned over to the Electoral College by state's governors. That subpoena is dated September 6th. Orders recipients to testify before a federal grand jury in Washington. They also must submit all communications related to post-election challenges, including theories of election fraud, whether then-Vice President Mike Pence had the authority to change the election outcome, and, quote, any strategies or options for ensuring the certification of Donald J. Trump as the victor of the 2020 presidential election. This widespread issuing of subpoenas, it's not just by accidents. (laughs) I hope you don't believe that. What it means is the DOJ is ramping up investigations focused on Donald Trump and his allies, and they're doing it just two months ahead of the midterm elections. According to the subpoena, Department of Justice is interested in documents and communications with a range from Trump's top advisors to state electors, local officials, dozens more individuals in seven contested states where Trump and supporters have cast doubt on the election outcome. One line of inquiry relates to the Save America PAC, the main political fundraising channel used by Trump and created shortly after the election, which didn't return a request for comment. Another focus of Merrick Garland's DOJ appears to be the question of so-called alternate electors. You may not have heard about this. In the wake of that election, Republican electors in the states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico cast what are called dueling votes for Trump, while the certified electors in the same states voted for Joe Biden. Those involved in the efforts have publicly stated that they did so because of the disputes surrounding the election. So along with the ongoing probe into the alleged mishandling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, a House committee's inquiry over the January 6th Capitol breach the DOJ investigation into efforts to dispute the 2020 election results appears to having a chilling effect on Trump allies and supporters. Now put all this in context. Few, few of the people who were named as part of the subpoena's request for documents were willing to comment about the issue to any news media outlet. I know that I'm just one that made a few phone calls. The ones who did comment mostly hadn't received a subpoena themselves, although some indicated they had caught wind of it on the way. I have no comments and no opinion. Ash Kerr, a member of the Warren County Republican Committee in Pennsylvania, he signed a form that certified the state's 2020 results for Trump. And when he was asked about the inclusion of his name in the subpoena, He said so. One of the most prominent attorneys named is Sidney Powell. She chiefly served as a counsel to Trump after the 2020 election 
later filed lawsuits independently alleging election fraud. Powell said she wasn't previously aware of a subpoena naming her, noted that a Georgia subpoena to her was recently withdrawn. Alongside the federal probe, a grand jury in Georgia Georgia is also investigating alleged efforts by Trump and his allies to dispute that state's election results. A conservative lawyer named Cleta Mitchell, she aided the former president, his post-election challenge efforts, also was listed in the subpoena's records request. She said she hadn't received it. I noticed that I am a search term, but that's all I know, Mitchell, who is chair of the Indiana-based Public Interest Legal Foundation, said. She added that she has provided the committee, the January 6th committee, with all responsive non-privileged documents, and if the DOJ serves my attorney a document subpoena, we would respond to it in the same manner as with the J6 committee. We will provide all responsive non-privileged documents. Let me tell you what I think all of this is. It's a fishing expedition. They're just looking. They're, they're foaming at the mouth trying to find some way, somehow, to indict Trump bring criminal charges against him, and they literally want to put him in jail. Attorney Timothy Parlator, whose client, former New York Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, was named in that subpoena, said that he isn't worried about the DOJ. It very much struck me as a complete fishing exposition, he said. Usually, Department of Justice is a lot more targeted with their subpoenas. It's definitely looking much more like a spray and pray, he said. Ask for everything under the sun. Maybe you get lucky. You might actually have something with one or two of these points. Given the timing, and he's the first one that has brought this up publicly, given that timing, the subpoenas are likely an effort to influence the midterm elections in which Republicans are seeking a reset in power dynamics. Lauren Bowman a spokeswoman for the Public Interest Legal Foundation, noted that the subpoena includes documents constituting any evidence that there was fraud of any kind in the 2020 election. This is a blatant overreach, will have the chilling effects to stop people from reporting election crimes. This subpoena is proof of what we already knew. The Department of Justice is full of of partisan bureaucrats. Now this whole thing, it ends in one spot. Where is that, Dan? The entire Trump campaign is at the center of the bullseye of this Department of Justice. Bruce Marks, a former Republican Pennsylvania state senator and lawyer who represented the Trump campaign in 2016, described this subpoena as outrageous. It looks like they're investigating the entire Trump campaign. Marx himself is named in the subpoena. It's a retaliatory, politically motivated attack, he said. What they're doing is subpoenaing people who don't have the resources to fight those subpoenas. They're using that as a backhanded way of getting communications of the campaign, and it's wrong. Marx asserted that the Trump campaign was following the playbook that took place in the 1960 presidential election when the governor of Hawaii certified electors 
for Republican Richard Nixon, while Democrat electors cast votes for Democrat John F. Kennedy, the ultimate winner, following a subsequent recount that determined Kennedy had secured more votes in the state. Nothing was hidden then. It was sent to the National Archives. It was sent to Congress. It was all done above board, he said. Marks, who led the election integrity challenge in 2020 in his home state, insisted there's no basis whatsoever to think that I was involved in anything that was wrong. I'm one of the few people who's actually proven election fraud in the United States is real. It's happening. It has happened. And it's changed election results, let alone in my own case. Back in 93, Marx was 36 years old then, initially appeared to have lost a Pennsylvania Senate race, but he emerged as the winner after a federal judge found his opponent, William Stinson, had engaged in election fraud through numerous illegally obtained absentee ballots. He believes the subpoenas are a violation of attorney-client privilege and First Amendment rights. I do too. Those First Amendment rights protect the freedom to associate for political purposes. Specifically, it's named in the amendment. The disclosure of such communications, political ones, will also make Republicans' campaign strategies public, in turn, helping Democrats in upcoming elections. A string of phone seizures from Trump lawyers and Representative Scott Perry, who's a Republican from Pennsylvania, by the FBI, have also been unsettling. Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, he was at an eater, a fast food eatery. An FBI came up, took his phone, his cell phone out of his hands, handed him a subpoena for it. There are a lot of people that relate to this. For those of you that were born and living in the 50s, middle to late 50s. I was born in the early 1953, so I wasn't really cognizant of politics until the John Kennedy assassination. That's when I began to first pay attention. But there are people out there that remember the scare. Everybody in the nation, especially entertainers, anybody that had a last name that even sound remotely European, they went after you to try to paint you as a communist. This sounds eerily exactly the same as that. Seriously. And it was one senator, one U.S. senator, that was at the bottom of it. And it was all being done for political purposes. Not in the name of of getting into people's lives and finding out private details about them, trying to stop them from speaking the truth in public per the rights given to us by our creator, not our government. We have free speech. And it totally destroyed a bunch of people's lives. We're looking at the same thing happening in the Biden Department of Justice. Democrats never do anything accidentally. This is one thing about the Democrat Party, I got to tell you, I have great respect for. They are very inclusive, very protective of their own. 
They're very proactive on all kinds of issues. They don't assume anything at all is absolute. That means they just keep turning the knob, tightening, 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 till they get whatever it is exactly in the spot where they know it needs to sit to be advantageous for them. And when something happens to the Democrat Party and Democrats across the nation, like this Roe v. Wade overturn, it just throws everything off kilter. Same thing happened when Hillary lost the election to Donald Trump. They were just thrown off. They just couldn't believe it happened. Same thing happened with the Roe v. Wade overturn. And what begins to happen, and we see it every time, there's kind of a rift that happens in the Democrat Party. And now we have the AOC-led far leftists. We don't have any moderate Democrats anymore. You're either far left or you're an independent or a Republican, a conservative. And so the leaders of these rifts, AOC, the the squad, all the other people, and Bernie Sanders, all of them that have this separate agenda, they're normally kept pretty quiet. Not so much now. Nancy Pelosi is losing her ability to control those who answer to her as the Speaker of the House. And so, I told you that we had a couple of Dave Rubin sounds that I wanted to talk to you about. And one of them is the crisis, one of these attacks on a whole string of crisis pregnancy centers in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned. That was Josh Hawley, and we already heard that. Hmm. Well, well, well. I've got it labeled wrong, and it's a really, really good one. It's about the illegals and all of the hypocritical uproar. Or did we already hear that? I got it. It's Dave Rubin and him pointing out some things about the D.C. elite and how they're being impacted and what they're doing and saying about the migrant busing. So this video is absolutely spectacular. This happened a couple days ago. If you did not see it, it's just so wonderful. So you guys know what's going on. The Biden administration basically is not taking care of the border. As Chuck said, about 2 million people are going to run through this year. Then what happens? In Texas and in Florida, because we have sane functioning governors, our governors are now busing illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C., which is a wonderful plan. They don't have to stay here. And if we don't want them here, that is the policy of these states. And fortunately, we have states' rights, and we're going to send them to D.C. Now, D.C., Muriel Bowser is the mayor of D.C., and they've got a whole bunch of council people over there who want it to be a sanctuary city, and nobody's illegal. It's all of the stuff that sounds sort of right, but then in a functional way does not work. So we covered it, I think, a week or two ago, that in D.C., all of their homeless shelters are now being filled up with illegals. So this video came out. This is D.C. Councilwoman Brienne Nadu, and she is very upset because now D.C. is being overrun by the, by the very people that she wanted to come into the country as long as they were going to stay in Texas. 
So it's been said, but it's worth reiterating that the governors of Texas and Arizona have created this crisis. And the federal government has not stepped up to assist the District of Columbia. So we, um, along with our regional partners, will do what we've always done. We'll rise to the occasion. We've learned from border towns like El Paso and Brownsville. Um, And in many ways, the governors of Texas and Arizona have turned us into a border town. We don't know how long this will take to resolve. We don't know how long they will continue busing. And so the right thing to do here is to be prepared to ensure we can greet every bus. We can get people off on the right foot. We can get them where they want to go. And that will ultimately help them in their I mean, liberal logic, it basically makes people stupid. This woman, okay, so first off, she's saying it's it's the governors of Texas and Arizona that are doing this. Now, of course, as you know, but she's somewhat dim, uh, the federal government is in charge of our borders. So she may not be happy that the governors of Texas and Arizona and Florida are busing people to D.C., but it's not their fault in the first place. The fault lies with the people that are in charge of the border. That's her party, right? That's old Joe and confused Kamala. So that's number one. Then she says something that really shows you what these people are. Now she's very upset. And why is she upset? Because D.C. is becoming a border town. But what do you mean? A border town would be full of immigrants and you'd think it would be very uh, diverse, very pluralistic, and everybody would be having a great time and there'd be no crime. What's the matter with border towns? Or is for some reason she's okay with border towns as long as they're in Texas and Arizona, but not in DC. And then at the end, of course, she says, but we'll do what we do, which is rise to the, uh, rise to it. And we will get to it. And we're going to take care of these people. We will rise to the moment. And what she means by that is we are going to take more tax money from legal people, and we are going to fund it into programs that will do absolutely nothing, keep a certain set of people here illegally. We're going to keep them in the welfare state. It's going to increase crime, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I say have at it, DC. Enjoy. That's exactly what the left does. But let me tell you where they messed up. They didn't anticipate pushback by someone like Ron DeSantis. They had been getting that pushback by Texas and Greg Abbott. Lawsuit after lawsuit, making a bunch of noise. And of course, when they get in the federal courts, you know how long that goes. It just goes on and on and on. It takes years to get any kind of real results, even if you're right about things. And by the way, a buttload full of cash. Federal, federal lawsuits are incredibly expensive. And I'll just leave it right there and tell you, you don't want to get into them. I mean, that was one of the things that uh, came up when we were talking about these rampant subpoenas going out to Trump supporters, campaign supporters. And you've got to, when you answer these things, if you've got even half a brain, you're going to be represented in federal court by an attorney. You know what the bill begins at to have that representation that's worth a rip? A hundred grand. How many campaign volunteers for any campaign? can just say, okay, let me go to the bank and get a cashier's check, Mr. Attorney, to represent me. Here's your hundred grand just to get started. Democrats don't get caught in situations where they don't know the results. And that, my friends, is the biggest part of this debacle that has got them 
and their heads spinning. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what to do. And so now instead of having their sharpshooters out there with these long-distance scopes and they know exactly what the target is and when it's right the perfect second, they just fire the gun and hit the target, it's all done and over. And now Ron DeSantis said to Greg Abbott, hey, you want to throw them into a tailspin? Your state has pushed back against it. Our state has pushed back against it. Why don't we do this together and just make the leftist heads explode? And that's what they've done. And the Democrats don't know how to handle it. You know the big reason why? A majority of Americans, including a majority, a big majority of legal Hispanic immigrants in the United States, agree with what Abbott and DeSantis did. And that is literally not a fly in the face of the Democrats, but a two-by-four in the faces of the Democrats. They don't know how to respond to it. And here we are. This has been happening over the last few days at the end of last week. There's no concerted, organized pushback message coming from the Democrat Party. They can't get their hands around it. Now, we've only got a few minutes left. I don't want to miss this. We've got something brand new that is already impacting our energy prices, and nobody in the government's talking about it. It's not our energy crisis so much as that that is in Europe and the result in higher demand for cargo ships to transport fuels to Europe. It's creating upward pressure on our fuel costs. So following the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the European Union, they put sanctions on the Kremlin. And in response, Russia began curtailing gas supplies to especially Northern Europe. That creates a scramble for energy on the continent, the entire continent of Europe. So to replace Russian supplies, Europe, now they just have one choice. They've got to import oil and gas from other places. So as ships carrying fuel to Europe from more distant places including, by the way, Joe Biden's giveaway of our strategic petroleum demands. As this all begins, these vessels are occupied for a longer period. They're not returning back to service as they normally did. This has sparked an increase in global freight cost. This is according to shipping experts. Transporting a cargo of naphtha petrochemical feedstock, for example, from the Middle East to Japan, it now costs double what it did in March. And the U.S. shipping a cargo of oil to China is at its highest level since 2020. So what does this mean to you? Well, the vessel shortage situation is getting tighter and tighter and tighter as European utility companies park liquefied natural gas, that's LNG shipments, on ships, as the region's shipping terminals are at a full capacity, these utility companies can't get the supplies into onshore storage. Therefore, they've got a floating storage group of vessels. They're sitting offshore, and they can't unload in time because they're in a line. We would expect there to be more floating storage. That's according to the chief executive officer of ship owner Flex 
LNG management. However, the LNG gas carrier market is mostly sold out for the winter anyway, so we would expect traders to utilize the ships in their existing portfolios. (laughs) Thank you, Uncle Joe. Thank you, Vladimir Putin. We had no way, we have no way to counter what he's done and what he's doing to us. Hey guys, enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me today. You have a great Thursday. We're back in the morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Monday through Friday at TNN Live. I was thinking about her, visiting the past, reconstructing details with old photographs. I was studying the faces with an objective point of view. She had another lover, she in fact